And I invite you then to return to that chapter we read earlier, to Romans chapter 1, Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 1, and we want to choose verse 16 for our text this morning. Let us then read Romans chapter 1, verse 16 for our text. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Uh, seeking the Lord's blessing, we want to meditate upon these words in, in context this morning. The title I'd like to give to the meditation is taken directly from the text, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. We're inclined to believe here that the Apostle Paul was introducing himself to the, the Roman churches. We're led to believe that he may have known one or two of them personally, but he was never in Rome before, and he didn't found this church. How it came about, we're not certain. We cannot tell. But there was a gospel church or churches in Rome, and the Apostle Paul, being the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, wanted to visit them. And before he was going to visit them, he sent this letter in order that he might introduce himself to them and that they might be familiar with the gospel that he proclaimed. And if you know anything about the life of the, of, uh, the apostle Paul, you will know that there was always people following him, trying to distort his message and, and trying to speak against him. And therefore, he wants to introduce himself to these churches and to make sure that they knew the gospel that he was to proclaim. And he, in these verses, we're going to look principally at the first section of this chapter. In the first instant, he presents his credentials to them. What are his credentials? Well, he was a servant of Christ. Literally, he was a slave. And to those in Rome, that would mean something, because in the Roman Empire, it's reckoned at this time there were, there were around 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And here was Paul telling them that he was a bond servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an apostle. He was one who had been especially committed or commissioned by the Lord Jesus to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He was a preacher of the gospel, the gospel that we're going to look at later on. And he was an a missionary to the Gentiles. That was his credentials. And he was to impress them upon the gospel congregations in Rome. He also expressed his concern for them. He was thankful for them in verse 8. He prayed for them. He made a special mention of them in his prayers. He goes on to admit that he loved them. Not only prayed for them, but loved them. He had their highest interests at heart all the time. 
he goes on to tell them he was in debt to them. And we'll meditate upon that in the sermon itself. In verse 13, he was a debtor unto them. What does it say? Verse 14, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He had a debt to fulfill to them, and he was keen to make sure that he fulfilled that debt. And he was extremely eager to visit them and to proclaim the gospel to them. And all this, friends, leads us basically to our text. He wanted to come there. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He had confidence. He had confidence not in himself. Yes, he was a, a sent one. Yes, he recognized that he, had, he was called. But his confidence was in the life-transforming gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are four things that I wish to draw to your attention from this text, verse 16, that we have. Showing that his confidence was rooted and grounded in what God had done in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we would notice, friends, is the origin of the gospel. The origin of the gospel. What are we told here? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Verse 1, what does it say? Separated unto the gospel of God. The gospel is not something that man has initiated. This is something that's often thrown at, at gospel ministers and the church. Oh, the gospel is something that's been made up by man. And they might step back a bit and say exactly the same concerning the word of God. It's written by man, but that's not the case at all. The gospel does not originate with man. It is ultimately God who has sent the gospel and the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It has come from God. And as you know, the word gospel, what does it mean? It is good news. It is good news from heaven. It is God's complete and final good news that has come to mankind from heaven. And this is what motivated and inspired the, uh, the Apostle Paul. It was ultimately from God. It didn't originate in his own heart, his own mind. It was not his own imagination working over time. This came ultimately from God. And this should arrest us immediately. What we hear from the pulpit, when we hear the word of God read, and when we hear the word of God preached and proclaimed and applied unto us, it's not the words of a preacher. It's not the word of a church or a denomination. This is God's word. This has come from the King of Kings and from the Lord of Lords. We have a message that does not originate with ourselves, but has come to us from God. And are we going to dismiss it? Are we going to pass over it? This is from God. 
And the amazing thing is here that he says, I'm not ashamed. He is expressing in the negative something positive. He's saying, I'm not ashamed. No, far from it. I'm not ashamed. I glory in the gospel. This is my life. This is my sum and substance. This is what makes up my being in some sense. It is to proclaim the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am in no sense ashamed of it. Because many people were. Many people, when they heard it, were ashamed of it. What is, in essence, the gospel, friends? The gospel, in essence, is that the Son of God has come from heaven. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born in poverty. He was, in some sense, a nobody. And certainly, as far as the Romans and as far as the Greeks were concerned, he was a nobody. He was a carpenter. He came from a little place called Israel. And here's the Apostle Paul, who himself was simply a tent maker. And by his own admission, he was not a great orator. Yet here he was, he was going to proclaim the gospel, telling people that that one who had been born in Bethlehem in a stable in poverty, who was a, a joiner, a carpenter, yet he is the savior of mankind, that one who was rejected and despised by his own people, put in a cross, condemned and cursed by God, yet that one is the savior of the world, the savior of sinners, and that through him, that the people have eternal life. People were ashamed of it to think that they had to look to the crucified Christ in order to be saved. And some were ashamed of it. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Even Christians can be ashamed of the gospel. Let me present a scenario to you. You're a Christian. You're in your home. Maybe the minister's visiting. Maybe a Christian friend is there. You're having a cup of tea. You're having a good time. Fellowship. You're enjoying things. You're speaking about the word of God. Here's two Christians together. But suddenly something happens. What happens? The door opens and a friend comes in to you. A friend who you know, who's not a believer. You have a good relationship with that person. But they're not a believer. And here you are. You're a Christian. The friend who had been there before is still there. And maybe you're saying to yourself, I hope my friend or I hope my minister doesn't speak about the gospel to my unbelieving friend. I don't want to be embarrassed. Does this strike a chord with you? That's to be embarrassed of Christ and the gospel. Or what about another scenario? You watch the television program. 
What happens? Blasphemy. Do you switch it off? Or do you carry on listening? Or another scenario. You're with people, maybe your workmates, your colleagues, maybe people in school or whatever. Neighbors. Something comes up in the conversation. Something concerning the gospel. You maybe have an opportunity given to you under God's providence to speak about Christ and to defend his name. Something is said in the conversation. Maybe it's around sickness or maybe it's around a sudden passing of some person. And there God has given you a wonderful opportunity to be able to speak a word and season and you haven't taken it. Is it because you're ashamed of the gospel? <clears throat> Christians can be ashamed of the gospel. Ministers of the gospel can be ashamed of the gospel. It's incumbent upon everyone who has been called to the holy ministry to stand up and to declare boldly the claims of Christ upon all their hearers. They are to present Christ in all his saving fullness to all who will hear. And they are commanded in the word of God to come and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just to speak of him, but to hold him forth and to tell everyone that they have to come to Christ. And they are commanded for God commands all men everywhere to repent. And that means to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And where there is not that clear clarion gospel call, it is because the minister is ashamed of Christ and the gospel. Timothy. Timothy, who was a, a special individual in the sight of the Apostle Paul, who was truly a, a genuine Christian, who was an evangelist, who helped the Apostle Paul. Here he was in Ephesus, a difficult charge, difficult problems, and Timothy was a bit timid, and the Apostle Paul had to stir him up. Timothy... Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. The apostle Paul is telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Don't be ashamed of his background. Don't be ashamed of what he's done. Don't be ashamed that he, he was a terrible situation on the cross. Don't be ashamed of these things. Proclaim him in all his fullness. Stand up before all, even before the high and the mighty, the learned and the unlearned. Tell them all that they must come to the Lord Jesus. And if they will not come to him, they will never be saved. And don't be ashamed of me, the prisoner. Here, when Paul was writing this to Timothy in 2 Timothy, Paul was in prison. Chains. Don't be ashamed. Christians, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of your Savior. 
We know the world thinks nothing of them, and they trample underfoot the precious blood of the Lord Jesus, and they think little of his death. And they might think more of his, of his life than his death, but to the Christian friends, we delight in what God has done in Christ. It's our only hope, is it not? And his death was a terrible thing, a terrible crime. We're not going to deny that, but it was through his death that we have life. It was through his death that we have hope. It's through his death that we have a gospel to proclaim because of Christ had not died, regardless of what he did before that. If he had not died, there would be no gospel. There would be no hope. None whatsoever. He's not ashamed. It's from God. It's good news. And he's not like those who are ashamed. There's another verse in Mark that I wish to quote to you. That's very pertinent to us. The Lord Jesus is warning people not to be ashamed. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here we have something, surely, that's very applicable to the, the modern professing Christian church today. You know, there are many people who, in the church, look upon the Lord Jesus, and in some sense, they delight in him. They delight in his teaching. They delight in his example. And they delight in many aspects of the life and the teaching of the Lord Jesus, but they find his death offensive. And this is what he says, ashamed of me and of my words. You cannot separate Christ and his words. And if we find Christ crucified offensive, then that's exactly what we're doing. And Paul was not one who was ashamed of the death of the Lord Jesus. Because in the death of the Lord Jesus... God is displaying to us the seriousness of sin and how it took only the Son of God who was able to deal with this great problem. And Christ crucified reveals unto us an angry God, an angry God who will not tolerate sin and who will deal with it. And this is what modern man finds so offensive today. Paul, I'm not ashamed because the gospel originates with God. Second thing I want to highlight from this text is <coughs> the operation of the gospel, the operation of the gospel. We find here in our text, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. <clears throat> it does not simply reveal to us the power of God. He is saying 
It is the power of God. This is God's power. And this would remind us, friends, of the extremely serious situation that natural man finds himself in. That it requires the power of God. And oh, we have a, we look around, we see creation, we see the beauty of it, we see the marvel of it. And very often we are amazed when we see that God spoke. Yes, God spoke and brought it all into being at a word and at a command. And that same word upholds his great and vast and glorious and complex creation, moment by moment, day by day. And we see something of the power of God. But friends, we see the power of God working in the gospel. As one had said before, when God spoke and brought all things into being, there was no opposition. He simply spoke. And it came to being. That's not the same with the gospel. When a sinner comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's power is naturally resisted. But ultimately it cannot be resisted. But initially it is. And one says then God had to exercise more power in the gospel. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Am I going to be ashamed of the power of God? This is something that the Romans might think about. In the world that we're looking at here 2,000 years ago, Greek culture dominated the Roman world. It was Greek philosophy. It was Greek learning. It was Greek wisdom that dominated the Roman Empire. But it was Greek power that was overall. It was Roman soldiers who were situated all around the Roman Empire. It may well be Greek culture. But it was Roman power. And when Caesar would send forth a messenger, wherever he went, he came with the power of Caesar. And was he going to be apologetic when he went forth with his message? Having been commissioned by Caesar, the man who was in power over the Roman Empire. It's exactly the same for the Apostle Paul, but in a in an ever greater sense. He has been commissioned by God himself. And there's no greater power than God. And is he going to be ashamed of it? No. The operation of the gospel is the power of God. Thirdly, we have the outcome of the gospel. <clears throat> For it is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, what a holy joy that brings to the people of God. What does salvation mean? Salvation means uh, deliverance. It means freedom. It means to be emancipated. 
It means to be set free. And maybe the question you want to ask the minister is, what is it we are set free from? Well, of course, the gospel addresses man's greatest need. What is man's greatest need? Man's greatest need is to be is to be set free from sin and from all its consequences. And this is what the gospel does. You see, the Bible would teach us, friends, that because we've all sinned in Adam, we're not free. We're under the thraldom and the dominion of sin and of Satan. Now, modern people laugh at that. They think we're talking about demon possession. That's not what we're talking about at all. But sin has a power. Sin has an influence over us. And it, it affects all of us, all by nature. And it still affects the Christian. But when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, what happens? We are immediately free from the guilt of sin. And that's why there are some people here this morning who are outside of Christ. They have a guilty conscience. They don't know why. But they know there's something, they might say in the back of their mind, there's something that troubles them. What is it? I can tell you what it is. It's a guilty conscience. And why have you got a guilty conscience? You've got a guilty conscience because of sin and because of the guilt of sin and because of the sin. You don't have the relationship with your creator that you should have because God is holy. And there's this barrier that's between God and man by nature. And this manifests itself in a, in a guilty conscience. And sometimes it troubles us more than others. It'll trouble you maybe when you become sick and when you become aware of your mortality and maybe you think your life is drawing to a close and you're facing the great eternity and your conscience is troubling you. Or maybe when someone close to you, a loved one, a neighbor, a colleague, passes on and you put yourself in their place and you may not be able to articulate it very well, but you know there's something just not right. It's sin. Well, Paul is not going to be ashamed to preach the gospel to them because he knows that when he proclaims the gospel that Christ has come and suffered and died in the room and place of sinners and who has being raised to life again for our justification, that if you put your faith and hope and trust upon him, you will know deliverance from sin. You will know it instantly. You will know the guilty conscience is gone. You will know that you have a peaceful conscience, something that you never enjoyed before. And of course, it goes on. The Christian life goes on. It has a beginning, certainly, but it goes on. And as you go on and as you grow in grace and as you're sanctified, you know more of the being delivered from the power of sin. And you're looking forward ultimately to that day when you're delivered from the very presence of sin completely.
glorification. Is he going to be ashamed of this message? Is he going to keep it to himself? Is he going to hide it? Is he going to make it confusing? Is he not going to stand like a public herald and tell people, I have the answer to your greatest need? It's not me, but it's the one I proclaim. It is Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you today, he would say, come unto him. Oh, sinner, come unto him. You're not asked to do anything. You're asked to believe upon one who has done everything to satisfy the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law, something that you can never do. And he cries out and he holds up the Savior and tells him, come unto him. That's the outcome of the gospel. It is full and free salvation. You know, some people present the gospel as come to Christ and all your problems will be over. That's not the case at all. Come to Christ and you'll have a a full bank balance. Come to Christ and your, your relationships will heal. Come to Christ and everything will be rosy. That's not the way. But the gospel deals with our greatest need, our greatest problem. How shall we escape? Paul says on, on another occasion. If we neglect so great salvation. Well, fourthly, friends, we want to notice lastly the outreach of the gospel. We have it here. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying here that he is a messenger who has been appointed to ultimately, principally, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The gospel is for everyone. It says to the Jew first. Well, it originated with the Jews. Jesus was born of the Jews. And the gospel was first proclaimed to his people. But it wasn't to be confined to his people. It never was. The gospel which had been promised in the Old Testament was always a gospel that would come first to the Jews, but then it would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It has universal application because mankind, regardless of where we're born, regardless of our upbringing, regardless of these things, we all need the gospel because we're all sinners. There is no difference. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now he writes this to the Jew first. And he reminds them that the Jew, with all his blessings, he had the scriptures, he had the covenants. They were God's chosen people. 
Yet God's chosen people who enjoyed privileges and blessings that others did not have, they needed the gospel exactly the same as the Greeks, the Gentiles. And this can be offensive. The Jews didn't like the fact that they were exactly the same as the Gentiles. And maybe in our own situation that we find ourselves today, preaching the gospel in its fullness can be offensive to God's covenant people. To people who have been brought up in Christian homes and whose lives have in some sense been shaped by Christianity. They've been in godly homes. Mom and dad have prayed for them, brought them to church, the Sabbath school, and taught them scriptures. And they might feel it's offensive to treat them as, out, as you would treat outsiders who have no Christian background. But that's the way the gospel is. Because it is a wonderful privilege, of course, to be brought up in a Christian home and to be prayed for and to be aware of the Bible, its teachings, and to be under the sound of the gospel. But something more is required. What is it? You must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must avail yourself of the Savior. And this, friends, is the outreach of the gospel. It has universal application. That's why Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. That's the gospel. And the gospel is, when it is faithfully proclaimed, is offensive. That's why many were ashamed of it. Because it's offensive. Where do you stand then this afternoon? Do you find it offensive? Are you ashamed of it? Or can you say like the Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And he could say that with confidence because he knew firsthand he had experienced the freedom, the liberty, the peace, the joy that he didn't know before. In one sense, to the outsider, his life maybe hasn't changed at all. He was a religious Pharisee before, and now he's religious in a different sense now. But he knew the inner reality. He knew that new life. He knew the spirit of God working in him and transforming him. He was more conscious and aware of his sin than he ever was. 
but he also knew that liberty, that freedom, that joy, that peace that came to, to him through believing upon the Lord Jesus. And because of that, because of that wonderful transformation that was transforming him and was continuing to transform him, he was not ashamed. And you know, he wanted others to know this as well. And he was going to be faithful to the commission. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. In the authorized version, there are two words that are translated ready. One means to be prepared. And Paul uses that word when he tells them late in Acts that he is ready to go to Jerusalem to die for the gospel. But the other word that's translated ready, and that's the word we have here, is that he's eager. He's not just ready, but he's eager. And he is eager because he's not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray together. Lord, we bless thee again that God has looked upon our plight. and God has seen our hopelessness. And God has done something divine and glorious and wonderful in the gospel. Lord, we do pray that we might have grace that all of us might come and embrace him so that we would not be ashamed of ourselves, but that we might delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers, continue with us, and pardon our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.